Welcome to the In Context podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Oliver, and with me today we have uh, Graham Thompson and Ian Williamson. Hello, boys. All right. Hello, Matt. Graham, good to see you both. And you. So, you guys have both planted churches in deprived communities, council estate type areas. Um, there are lots of challenges that come with that, um, depending on how you plant it. And obviously, you guys have given a bit of that history before of how your particular churches were planted. Uh, but um, maybe ask you this first, Graham. What were some of the challenges that you expected, knowing what you were going into, what you had as you went into planting the church? What were some of the expected challenges that you faced? I guess just um, ones that all church planters have, really. You know, um, people getting people, um, especially in a in a place like ours where it's not, you know, there's not a, a big turnover of people for whether it's students or people moving in and out of the town for work or whatever in a small little town like ours. Um, yeah. You know, people live here all the time. We planted here because the one, there hadn't been a gospel church here for a long time. So we knew getting people was always going to be hard and it was going to be long, slow work. Um you know, but there's knowing and knowing in the, and then you get here and you realise it's longer and slower than you thought. Yeah. Uh, and finances, um, yeah, uh, it's it, if you've not got very many people, and you're in a place where a lot of the people who live here don't earn big books, um, yeah. you're always going to be looking outside yeah. and raising money and looking for finances. So uh, those were kind of two big ones, uh, and just. Um, yeah, I guess to re-emphasise that that kind of length of time of, um, you know, there's people say that on average it takes 10 years for somebody to come to know the Lord if, if they're going to, you know, um, from meeting a Christian and hearing hearing the gospel. Well, if you're planting with a small team and you're not necessarily, if, if, you know, if that works out, it's 10 years, that's a long, long time of sowing and sowing and sowing. Uh, and so, yeah, those those are some of the things we we expected as we came in. Obviously, we planted without a without a, a main planting church as well as we've said before. So we knew kind of not we were on our own. People were supporting us or whatever, but we knew there weren't going to be any cavalry riding to rescue. Yeah, uh, I guess those those are kind of some of the big ones that we expected coming in, um, and we've learned were even bigger problems than we expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you, Egan? Uh, Expected challenges? Yeah, well, I come from more of a charismatic background than Graham, so I wasn't expecting as many challenges that he was. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be a, a, a lot easier than it was. I thought, just move on to the estate, just start preaching the gospel and people will come. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it. I went in very naively. I, I, I just presumed that finances would come, that people would come, that because I was excited about the vision, that everyone else would be excited about it, yet there weren't. <laughs> so that was like a big shock for me. I don't know about you, Graham, but like casting a vision, even when people are excited, often they're not excited enough to come and join you, are they? I think that's a, yeah, that's a big thing, in it? And even when like you cast a vision, You've got to be aware that um, people don't necessarily hear what you're actually saying. Everything's filtered through kind of their church background and stuff. I was saying to someone the other day that um, 
when you you know you think you're church planting you we, we said a lot of time we've got a blank sheet of paper we can and just contextualize them for our community and blah, 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 blah. It's not like revitalizing a church where you're trying to turn a big oil tanker. Um, and what I realized is you haven't got a blank sheet of paper because everybody brings a sheet of paper with them that's been scribbled over their entire Christian life. And so you, instead of trying to turn one big oil tanker, you're trying to turn 10 different medium-sized ferries kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, you can say you can cast a vision as much as you like, but it's going to take time for people to get it and not everybody gets it. And certainly, like you said, not everyone gets it enough to come. Yeah. Yeah. So there were some of the expected challenges and I guess they'll have, they'll have brought other issues with them that, that have tagged on. So one of the things you said, Graham, is, is it was longer. <laughs> you knew the issues, but they were actually bigger and longer than they were going to be. Um, what maybe were some of the more unexpected issues? And I've, I guess things that maybe either came out of the blue completely or just things that you presumed wouldn't be a, a bit like you were saying there. We've got a blank sheet of papers at church plant. Oh, actually, no, we haven't. <laughs> the only expected issue is we're trying to turn this small fleet of boats instead of the Titanic, but we're still trying to turn it or, or get them all lined up instead of trying to change its direction. We're trying to get them all heading in the same direction. Were there other unexpected challenges like that? Well, I think the link to that is that you... Um... So there's almost a, I don't think it's purposeful arrogance, but there's kind of an arrogance in, in certainly in my own heart that I'm like, this is an awesome vision. Not because necessarily I've come up with it, but just like I'm so excited about reaching these people and, and, and we're trying to do things a bit differently contextualized. And I just thought everybody would get it, you know, because why wouldn't you? And I think that there is kind of a, oh, well, I've thought this out and I've thought about this a long time you know, for a year or so, it, people will just get it. Um, and, and you know, you kind of think in your naivety and mm. perhaps a bit arrogant. Yeah. And stuff. Well, I'm yeah. just, I'm such a good teacher that, that I'll be just, just to be able to put this across and people will go for it. So I think, I think that was what, yeah, you overestimate how long it takes for people to get things. Yeah. Um, and you overestimate how good of a, pastor stroke planter you are um and i think that that can or how good a communicator or how good a preacher or whatever um and i think that's that's what it comes down to is the things that um you uh, in naivety and arrogance and over expectation you end up with the heart issues that are actually one of the biggest problems in church planting is is not people or the situation it's me and it's my heart because I just think I'm awesome and people should follow me. Can't imagine you had those same uh, things, should you, in? No, no, that, that nothing like that. Being, <laughs> being so humble. Uh, <laughs> the fact that I'm really humble helped me out of that band. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you're so no. modest about your humility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to come and do what... Uh, what I'm doing, I've had this wonderful uh, vision of God. Why, why is nobody on board with it? Uh, but not just that, just arrogance on every single level, really. Arrogant at the fact that if you weren't doing the type of ministry that we were doing, then your ministry was second rate. And yeah. it, I, I soon found myself looking down on, on other people in ministry, thinking that 
the only worthwhile ministry was the the one that I was doing, and that I didn't start off that way. Obviously, I think what happens is the work that we do is often in isolation. So as we uh, as we are isolated, and if if we're in a small team without many people challenging you, if you have got a heart issue, it can be a long time before it rears its head, and and often when it does rear its head, it's it needs a lot more challenging. And it would do if, like, if I was doing it with another elder, we'd have kept each other accountable early doors. But I just felt that I was banging my head against a brick wall. I couldn't get people to come and join us. I couldn't get people to support the work financially. I just really felt that uh, we had this awesome call and nobody was interested. And uh, forgetting that we had this awesome call. And, and, and I was resentful that God hadn't given them that calling that he'd given me, which is... My resentment ultimately was directed at God. Well, it was directed at other people, but it was originating. Ultimately, I wasn't happy with God because people weren't coming. And I can't remember where I read, but as you look through the Old Testament, if you look at Nehemiah and uh, Ezra, and and as they were trying to like rebuild, when 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 they returned from uh, Babylon and when they returned from captivity, the the not everyone was getting stuck in. There was only a few people who God had put uh, that vision on on their heart, but not everyone who who got involved was there for the right reason, and not everyone who didn't get involved was there for a bad reason. God chooses specific people for specific tasks, not because they're any better or because they're any worse. It's because God just uses. We mentioned it a few weeks ago: horses for courses, isn't it? He uses people, the best, the people he can use best in that position, and. Uh, if God hasn't put a, a vision in somebody's heart or uh, an area or a people group to reach, then that doesn't mean they've done anything wrong. It just means God's got something different for them to do. But I wasn't thinking that way. I was <laughs> I was just thinking about myself. But I think that comes out, that often comes out of a good place, though, doesn't it? As well. So it's like it's it's how it's how the devil twists the good desires the Lord gives us into into what becomes sin and actually damaging to ministry and stuff is because, you know, that that heart comes out of a good place because you're desperate for Middlesbrough, you know. I'm desperate for, for Clerk. And and we're just like, why why there's all these people without the gospel. Why, you know, it breaks our heart. And so we we're desperate for people to come to, but that twists in the sinfulness of our own heart to go, well, everybody else must be an absolute loser then. Why? Yeah. Why aren't they coming here? Why? Why are they just doing easy ministry? Um, you know, they they need to come and get stuck in here because there's just so much need here, um, and you know, we want people to come and get stuck in, don't we? Again, that's why we're doing things like this podcast. That's why Meadows Ministry exists because there's a massive need. But yeah, that gets twisted in our hearts because ultimately we believe we're the center of the universe. For me, in that it was convicting when I sat down and really thought about it. I mean, I, I ch- chat with Mez from Twenty Schemes regularly and talk about various things. And I looked at some of his planters who had moved hundreds and thousands of miles to plant in tough parts in Scotland, and I'd moved two miles, and I was feeling sorry for myself. I was actually in the place that I grew up and lived, and had friends and had family. My mum was around the corner. Rachel's mum was just 10 miles down the road. 
friends that I, I grew up with were around the corner. New Christian friends were around the corner. So the cost for me in my head was massive. We haven't got people. We haven't got money. But my kids still went and seen the grandmas every other day because they were just down the street. Uh, my wife had, had a, a fr uh, friends and family and, and si like sister on the doorstep. So the actual personal cost was minimal. But like you say, the devil gets in and, and he's focused on what you haven't got rather than what you have got. And I'm whinging, why aren't people coming to join us? And I'm like, well, flipping it. Well, do you know what I mean? It's easy for me. I've just, I'm still on the doorstep of, of, of where I live and where everything is secure. Yeah, I was expecting everybody to give up what I had, friends, family, uh, the hometown, to, to come and join us. So I think part of it was unrealistic expectations of others was a, was a huge problem for me. Uh, and when I thought about it, would I fancy going to Iraq? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Does that make me a bad person because I'm not going to Iraq to plant a church? No. But I did. I saw a guy from Sheffield who was planning on doing that. I was like, flipping heck. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't really got that much to whinge about because I'm expecting people to come to Middlesbrough. Yeah, I'm not willing to leave it. So yeah, that that was. Friend of mine planted in my hometown, and uh, he, he moved from London. And uh, in the prayer meeting before he moved, uh, someone was like, "Yeah, we're praying for this family, Lord, as they go to plant this church uh, in Yorkshire." It's it's like Iraq up there. <laughs> it's just like because. And, and their lad, when they moved up, he was terrified of going to school in, in West Yorkshire because he might get stabbed there. And it's like, you know, um, but if we were going to London, we'd probably think so, wouldn't we? Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things that I I underestimated for other people is like, you know, it's quite easy for me coming here. Um, all right, we've moved a bit, but like you say, it's only like, seven ten miles or whatever and and these are these are my people these are kind of the people i grew up around and you know etc etc but if you know like i said Clex's not all working class people found a massive house the other day 650 grand which would buy a two-bedroom flat in london wouldn't it but around here that's a big house um but because we're trying to contextualize for the majority of people in our area the culture culture of our church is different and so whereas i don't have to change that much to fit into that i underestimate what it would take for for other people coming to change not only to fit into the culture of our town but to fit into the culture of our church and i just think it's easy because i'm actually for the first time in my life fully comfortable in a church culture mm. um and so i think yeah that resentment can build because we're just like well We've had to contextualise all our lives to fit into churches. Why? Why won't you contextualise to fit into ours? Have <laughs> you found that you've been less welcoming to people who aren't of that culture? I look back in in horror at how judgmental I was of of people coming who they've walked in. I thought, oh, they're too posh for here, and I haven't really encouraged people who maybe if I said come around for lunch and we'll share about our vision, they might have loved it. But I've I've had that reverse snobbery where I thought, oh, flipping it, they won't last five minutes here. I mean, someone came and we, I've tried to encourage them and they didn't last five minutes. <laughs> so I remember I remember one uh, one time there was this family came they were considering joining us. And this woman came up and uh, was speaking to my wife and, and, and this woman who was visiting the church and showed her a phone and a photograph of a man. He said, have you seen him here? And the woman said, oh, is that your husband? She went, no, he's an effing pedo. And like, the woman was just like, with her kids, stood there like flipping, eh? what, what, what have we come to? 
<laughs> and then so there is that obvious shock of people who come and think, you know what, this isn't for us, and I, and I don't blame them for, for that. But where I do feel bad is some people have come and I haven't really encouraged them because I thought they're not rough enough or working class enough. And, yeah, we, I, I've kind of almost tried to create a working class church instead of a diverse church that accepts and encourages with the working class. I've, I, instead, I've had a, tried to develop a working class church that discouraged the middle class. And that wasn't isn't how I set off. It's just how it... Yeah. Again, just with your own sinful hearts and desires and preferences, you soon start doing for what for years what I've been campaigning against, and that's judging yeah. people on 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 the class or the academic ability or how they look. I think I don't think I've I've done that massively, but I think I might have given the impression that I was at times because you know it's like that classic thing in it. You know, I played darts with my lad. And uh, you know, it's a it's a one, and I'm like, oh, just aim a bit left, love. You're aiming for for twenty. Um, and he says, but I don't, I don't want to aim left. I don't, you know, I don't want to hit whatever's over on left hand side, um, five or whatever. I want to, I want to hit twenty. Uh, and and what he is aim over here. And I think because I banged on so much, we got to contextualise for our area. We got to contextualise for our area. Mm. Some folks. Heard, oh no, they only want working class people, yeah. and I, I probably didn't listen to to that enough when they said that. I still think you know I was reasonable in what I said, but I think we we think we're clear communicators mm. you know, because <laughs> I know what's in my head yeah. and I know what I mean. Dom, my wife, says this to me all the time. She says, "I know what you mean, but probably the rest of the world doesn't." Yeah. Um, and that so, sounds familiar. Sounds familiar to me too. <laughs> we got. We got I have, even even I don't know what I mean. So, what <laughs> <laughs> else has a chance? <laughs> but I think that's. I think we just got to be aware of that because, you know, it's like with the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter things. You know, people say, "Oh, well, all lives matter," and like people who. People hear that and go, oh, you're just a racist," or people hear that and say, "Well, no, you know, it's, you hear what you already think." And I think um, whenever we're trying to plant in places like ours, we've just got to be really clear. We've got to have people we can trust who say, tell us, that's not actually what you said. What you meant to say was this, but that's not what people heard. Yeah. And I think that comes back again to our hearts, doesn't it? That our hearts just think, well, of course everybody understands what I said. I said it clearly. But then you listen back to yourself and you go, uh, no, I didn't, did I really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that's very true. Very true. Um, so, with with some of those other challenges that you mentioned at the beginning, and I think it's probably mentioned elsewhere about kind of we've had lack of people and lack of resources or lack of finances and isolation and other things that particularly come maybe with church planting in these contexts. How how did those circumstances expose sinfulness in our hearts? Do you think, or in your hearts in particular? And when it came to planting, I think for me, I soon. So, what got me into church planting was, uh, well, first of all, obviously the need. There was no churches in the area, but secondly, as I started investigating church planting, I'd go to conferences and I'd hear exciting stories of conversions, of God miraculously providing for buildings and for finances and, and people to these plants. 
And I come away excited hearing how different church plants had been blessed by God. And then after a year or two of, of church planting myself, and we, I wasn't perceiving us to be blessed when I was hearing about other churches. I was sat there thinking, well, why are they getting money when what we're doing is better? And instead of celebrating God's blessing on a church plant, I was resentful of it. I was angry. I started finding myself in competition, trying to say Middlesbrough is like the worst. It is, it's like the, it is the worst place to live. But I, I was happy about it because I thought, oh, oh, let's climb up the ranks of poverty and then I'll get more money. I wasn't thinking, praying for Middlesbrough that I'd get out of poverty. I was glad Middlesbrough was a dump because people might support me more. Uh, there's a brilliant chapter about that in When Helping Hurts, about how lots of charities will will try and keep the poor poor because it keeps them in business. And, and, and if the poor stay poor, then it, it creates wealth and, and growth for these charities that are helping them. So, uh, yeah, I became guilty of that. I'd sit, like, I'd be gutted. Like, I'd, I'd have real jealousy in my heart over different planters who, who were being blessed. And I look back now, I was in a dark place. I, I, at that time, we, we were close to shutting and uh, we almost did shut. Matt, if you hadn't the builders out, we we I didn't have a salary for me the following month. But your church—that's Matt, Matt, Matt's church, not not Matt getting out of his own pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not one of these secret millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, Hardwick Baptist Church builders out, and then Mes McConnell, he'd offered me a lifeline prior to that, but I was that sick. I was like, nah, stick it. I want the church to die. <laughs> I wanted to crash. I've had enough. I just want to. I felt like a dog that needed putting down. Uh, physically and spiritually and not just the church I, 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 I'd struggled and I'd, I'd got defeated uh, I'd put my trust in my strength in other people and stopped trusting in God so that, that's why the resentment was building and then in the new year I rang Mez up and said oh is that offer still open <laughs> can you still give me the money and he, 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 fortunately I'm now 20 schemes inspired uh, sponsor us as a church uh, Mez already knew I was a weirdo, so it didn't put him off support. Me. But, uh, yeah, because I'd allowed myself to get full of resentful, I was just ready to uh, to pack in. And, 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 I'd, yeah. and I'd say I was just so angry with God, yeah. with, with the situation that every time I saw another church plant or our church get blessed, it just made me more and more angry. And it's awful to think that I was in that place, but it's so easy to get to. So easy to get that place of, of envy and covetousness when you uh, are not satisfied or content with the ministry that God has given you. My ministry, yeah. I had to come to understand that, you know what, God might have called me to pastor a church of eight members for the rest of my life. I'm happy with that. I wasn't at the time, but I am now because them eight members have sacrificed as much or more than I have for the, for the faith and for the church. And I'm here to guide and lead and, and, and work alongside them. So, yeah. Ultimately, what I wasn't happy with was what God had put on my heart, and that was to pastor a small church in Middlesbrough. But I think that I, I think it comes down to what you said before a lot as well, Ian. That basically we've we've got unrealistic expectations, mm -hmm. you know, about what church planting is, just about what ministry is. I'm sure this is the same for you, Matt, in a in a more established church as well. It's like, like you say, you go to conferences or you read books or even just what what a what a lot of church planting in 
in in the UK and I'm sure around the world has been is like you plant into a place where there's lots of Christians that are not um, not in great churches and suddenly you know people come to you and, and you grow and I'm not saying that's bad or whatever um, because you know there needs to be that rescue rescue growth for want of a better phrase uh, in lots of places I was a part of a church where that happened um, but I think you then come into ministry and as much as you tell yourself oh it's going to be it's going to be long term term planting here it's going to be slow people aren't going to want to come you know we're constantly scrabbling around for money you tell yourself that as much as you want but your expectations i'm a i always say i'm an optimist by nature which nobody ever believes but it's true i'm an optimist by nature and that's why i'm always disappointed and therefore miserable <laughs> um because you know, as as much as I said to everyone, it's going to be slow. It's going to take a long time. It could be 10, 20, 50 years, you know, before we see any growth, um, you know, any any kind of long-term growth or whatever. Um, I didn't believe it in my heart of hearts because, again, it, it partly because out of, out of a good place, I believe the gospel. And when you preach the gospel, people get saved. Um but also because I, you know, I thought, well, we'll come in and, and we'll we'll smash it. Um, but because you come in with those unrealistic expectations, because you believe, well, there will be people who come. You know, if we just pray hard enough, the Lord will have to answer it, and 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 people will come and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, when those, when your expectations are not met, uh, that's when you tend to get resentful. You know, it's like in marriage, isn't it? If you think marriage is all going to be bunnies and daisies, um, you're going to get resentful at your spouse because they're not the perfect wife you thought you married or whatever. Um, and I think it's the same. Uh, we come in and we expect, we expect, oh, it might take three or four years or whatever. And then you start to resent when nothing happens, seemingly. Uh, and then you start to resent people who... Um, who basically have the same expectations as you um, and therefore don't want to see nothing's happened and therefore think, oh, well, you can't be doing outright well um, and so won't support you or whatever or ask you questions, which are completely reasonable questions. Why haven't you grown? Why people have left? You go, ah, rather than just saying, that's a reasonable question. Here are the reasons why. Mm. Um, and you find, you, I, I just found my heart was kind of just thinking, well, nobody else is doing proper ministry. Um, I just want to, they should come here. People should support us. They should give us money because, you know, we need it kind of thing. And again, it comes out of a good place, but it, it's twisted by your heart because however much you tell yourself, you think you should grow and you should get enough money and you should have enough people. Yeah. It's interesting. Though. I think that the resentment thing, I think there's, there's there's more opportunities for it to come out with a church plan situation just because of the things you guys have both said. But I think the the resentment thing still, I've still found that even in pastoring a church where you know we've got our own building financially we're pretty secure. Sure, we've got people. <laughs> <laughs> Stop bragging, you know I mean? Matt. But, Stop rubbing salt in the wounds. But the, <laughs> but the resentfulness. So even coming in, so like we we advertised for an assistant pastor more than a year and a half ago originally. Um, a, a full-time post and and within that kind of year when you would expect applications to come in between september and january we just didn't we didn't have a single one that was like a genuine application like we had the, we had the obvious 
weird emails you get from like unknown random people who just think, oh, there's a job there. I'll just I'll ask where it's about. Why like, you but just their visa? Yeah, basically, but there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing followed up from it. No, like, no second email when you say, right, here's some information, or check it out here on the website. There's nothing back after that. Um, and, and I mean, wonderfully, we have had an application since then. I can't go more into that now, but like, but even then, I'm sat there thinking, I know fine well that like the other churches in the south of England in the FIC, because that's what we're part of, will have had multiple applications for these jobs. Like they'll have had six, seven applications. They'll have narrowed down who they were going to interview and then had like the pick of the bunch, basically. And we've and we've managed one up one serious application or two serious applications or whatever in 18 months. And you think that's it's mad, isn't it? And I'm like, well why 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 don't more people think the need's great in the north of England? We'll all apply there. But it's exactly what you're saying. It's the same thing of actually it's a big shift for people. And I've had that question put to me. Somebody said to me, look, I know I'm I know I'm a posh southerner. Like I'm well aware that's that that is basically what I am and what people will see me as. Does that rule me out of ministry in the north of England it actually was quite an interesting question because I think there is that danger of that we communicate that and it wasn't that he'd heard me or anything but it, he he obviously thought oh maybe I'm going to be too posh to to mm. even consider ministry in the north of England this is going to be a problem and like I said well no it's not I said the part of your awareness of that is a helpful thing to start with that you're aware there's going to be a culture clash is a good thing yeah. Um, but no, it's the willingness to go there and move and listen and learn and, and be humble as opposed to going in thinking you're going to change everything when you get there. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a definite resentment there. I kind of sat there thinking, well, we've advertised this job. What's wrong with it? Have we advertised it in the wrong place? Have we advertised it badly? Does nobody want to come and work with me? Does nobody want to come to this? Yeah. What, there are all sorts of reasons you can begin there. You know, the devil, like you said, the devil can start to like make you think, ah, it's because you. Because you'll be nobody knows who you are. Nobody, you know, nobody wants to work with you. You'll be a terrible trainer, or which may all be true. But like, <laughs> partnered with us in Middlesbrough, that's it. No, <laughs> yes, that's partnered with your life. <laughs> I think as well, though. Yeah. It's a similar kind of challenge, isn't it? So. Yeah, I think as well. Like it, um, it if you're not careful, it, it just stirs up all your prejudices and stereotypes and resentments. Like, it just brings out the worst of you because, you know, that's what our sinful hearts do, doesn't it? I mean, you said you're a reverse snobby, and my my brother's like some sort of, I don't know, I don't even know what it is, posh thing at Oxford University, and it's like, um, he, he says he's the I'm the biggest reverse snob he's ever met, um, and so like, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Yorkshire in the eighties, so it's like, you know, I just think it's all run by some Tory. Kabbalah and all this sort of stuff. It's just you know that that's that's mother's milk kind of thing, um, and um, and so I'm I sit here going nobody's coming to us and I'm seeing and we're struggling for money and I'm seeing people get fifty grand grants and seventy five grand grants because they know to talk to and they know and I just think oh it's all the old boys network it's all kind of rather than going right well who can I work with can we can we get planters you know etc etc i'm going oh well there's no point even applying for that because so-and-so is going to get it because they've got the right tie or the right accent or whatever and and you start to think the worst of people you start to think that you know basically it's all about the old boys network so i think well that's i think that's because it that is true though that that yeah, is yeah. true but how we respond to it like you say is, is bad because we, we we give that our stuff them 
down south with all the money and we, we'll do it on our own, which isn't what we're called to do as as, as Christians, never mind as pastors and, and, and planters. We're, we're called to build bridges. And if the only time the All Boys Network singers were mourning and <laughs> we're, we're slagging them off, they're not going to want to support us either. They're not going to want to listen to why it takes 10 years to plant a church 10 years longer to plant a church in a hard place, they won't find anything else because all they hear is us moaning and, and whinging about them. And, and and this is, I don't blame people for thinking that and, and for people mishearing us because what you were saying, Matt, there is a problem that in the north of England, the majority of the pastors are white, middle class and southern. Now that's a problem. That doesn't mean they're a problem because they're here. The problem is because there's no working class white men who were saved. That's the problem. So my problem isn't that they're coming here. We want them to come. My problem is that people aren't getting saved. And then when they are saved, they aren't getting trained up. And if they are, they're getting sent down south to be trained. And then they stay down south. So or they this... come back with a southern accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what? how we communicate has been some of the barriers between yeah. us working together the FIEC have been awesome in, in listening to our voices and, 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 and giving us a, a platform to talk about. Uh, Mez McConnell has been banging on for like 20 odd years, which has like opened the door for us who are coming in off the back of a lot of the work that, that Mez and others have been doing. And, and stewardship, John Keskies and stewardship has, has started off this wonderful project that I met with John Keskies. Uh, well, first of all, I met Jerry Marshall, a friend of Northerners, the most least likely friend of Northerners ever. What, who, who supports Steve Neal and, and he's been very helpful to us individually and as, as, as with Medhurst Ministries, it opened many doors for us. Uh, introduced me to John Keskies from Stewardship because uh, they wanted to help us as a small church, knowing that we couldn't do anything with admin. And he sat and he said, can I interest you in this? I said, oh, that looks good, but can't afford it. Can I interest you in this and that? And, and he sounded, can't afford it, can't afford it, can't afford it. And at the end of the meeting, he sent me an email afterwards saying that he, uh, that the meeting he had with me was the most depressing meeting he's ever had. <laughs> that, that is often the response I get off most people. But this time it wasn't because of my personality or my bad jokes. It was because he wanted to help us and they couldn't. But this led him to develop in this new thing to help church plants specifically for working in our type of area. And he's given us a grant, stewardship gave us a grant, so we can access every single uh, product that, that they offer. So I'd recommend in any church plant looking at the stewardship uh, church plant impact to help them get started. Uh, if we'd have had that from the start, that would have released us from a lot of stress, and it's released us from, from stress now. But like my attitude and negativity and, and uncooperativeness is is a big thing. I used to whinge about the FIEC doing nothing up north, yet I'd never gone down south. So how can I whinge that no one's coming to meet me in Middlesbrough when I've never been to the Leaders' Conference or the Hub Conference? So again, I think we can feel isolated and justly annoyed that nobody's helping us. But then where we fail is we don't get involved with other things that other churches or networks are doing. So for me, the more I've been involved with the FIEC, the more fruit and benefits our church have, have seen. So I think it's a two-way thing, isn't it? Often we can be deprived areas with like a begging ball saying, what can you give? But we need to start saying, right, what can we offer? How can we support you? How can we uh, help? 
even if it's stewarding or sending people to go and steward at the leaders' conference or something, we need as uh, as, as pastors and planters to encouraging each other and our members to get stuck in and, and get involved with these networks. Yeah, rant over. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that was. I'm embarrassed when I look about it. I, I, demanding that people should visit me in Middlesbrough, yet I've never left Middlesbrough to visit anybody else. It's it's, it's childish, really, isn't it, and, and spoiled. But I think that's the place you get. Again, if you're isolated, you've got no one challenging you, you're just sat there feeling sorry for yourself and no one's there to give you a kick up the backside, then that that's the biggest danger for me, the lack of accountability, the lack of people. Uh, at that time, I've got another elder now, but I, I, I think I've missed out on a lot by... Uh, isolating myself as much as I was isolated from ge geographically. I think that's because often, like, I don't know, maybe it's a, a cultural thing, but my, uh, and it's certainly a sin thing, is is my initial reaction. Uh, if 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 people say, oh, we're not interested, oh, well, stuff you then. You know, yeah. oh, we, oh, we can't help you this time. It's like, well... I'm not interested. Then clear off. You know, you what a bunch of numpties or whatever. Um, and I think, I think, it, why do we get like this? It's because we forget the gospel in it, and we we kind of think where we get a messiah complex. So where are you? Not not even just us as planters, but our church. Where are you? Where where we've come? We've sacrificed almost the Lord owes us. Mm. And what you know, what what we need to remember, what we need to, um, to preach to ourselves, but we need, like you said, people around us and our church members mm -hmm. to preach to us is like the gospel. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus came, and they crucified him. Why would you expect all else? You know, and uh, he he gets it. He gets us. Um, he gets all these temptations. I'm preaching on Matthew four this week. You know. Um, and uh, the, the devil comes to him, doesn't he, and says, "You know, you're not really the son of God. And if you were, you'd you'd use it for your own advantage." Um, and and we we go, "Oh yeah, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah, we we are we are amazing, aren't we?" Rather than like Jesus says, "Well, no, I'm here to to obey the Lord, and I'll do what He's given me." And and um, we need we need that humility, but we also need that that confidence that the Lord will build His church. And that the Lord will provide all that we need. And even if our churches close and we end up bankrupt and whatever, it's all for our good. And He's using it all to mold us into the image of Christ. Um, we just, yeah, I find myself feeling too sorry for myself and forgetting the gospel. That's that's ultimately the problem, isn't it? We need to preach the gospel to ourselves and to to one another. Yeah, and ultimately that's because we're proud men, aren't we? We're, we're proud and arrogant, and we either we either put our faith in our own strength because we've got it sorted. We're the best planter in the world. So we put our faith in our own strength or we put our faith in other people. So uh, this person's give us 10 grand. It's either because we're really good at sharing our vision or they're really generous. It's not that God has appointed that time for us to be blessed <laughs> with some money. We, yeah. we often put our faith in anything else but God. And that yeah. is, is where... Our biggest mistake is pride, self-pity, and idolatry. Idolatry in the church becomes an, an idol. Uh, our, our strength becomes an idol, and other people's money be, becomes an idol. And uh, 
Yeah, and again, we forget the blessings that we've seen so often. I mean, the Solar Trust, the Gospel Partners, there's been so many different churches up and down the country who've given us money, and uh, we forget those blessings yeah. and we focus on what we haven't got. And it reminds me of being a child at Christmas, you know, looking at the the, the presents that they've opened, all their presents, they're looking enviously at the brothers and sisters, right? <laughs> How come he's got a bigger box than me? And, and yeah. I think just... That's the yeah. biggest problem is childish church planters. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, I'm totally like that. It's like um, uh, I go to, uh, you know, I go to, to, you go for a pub meal or something, and I, I am always like, should I have a pie or should I have a burger? <laughs> and when my burger arrives, I always wish I'd had a pie and vice versa. I think it's like it's like that with church planting. I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere but here. Yeah. But yeah. I'm constantly looking around and going, oh, I wish I were there. Yeah, um, and it's I should like, take a leaf out your book, Graham, because when I'm at a restaurant, I get the pie and the burger. <laughs> 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 don't, don't it, minute, do um, but yeah, I think I think that's that's the key to it, isn't it? it is is because none of these that we've talked about today, they're all real problems, yeah. and like yeah. we don't want to minimise, do it, saying to people, if you're going to plant a church, it's going to be brutal. Particularly yeah. if you're going to plant a church in a small town or a council estate or a working class area or just in a rural area. If you plant a church anywhere, if you pastor a church anywhere, it's going to be brutal. Yeah. But there's going to be specific challenges if you plant in yeah. one of the forgotten places in the north of England. Yeah. Um, and, and it is going to be brutal. And people are going to let us down because they're yeah. sinners. But ultimately, our biggest problem is how we respond. Because yeah. is it? I think it's Paul Tripp, and it says um, the biggest, the the quickest response to being sinned against is to sin right back. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, yeah. I when uh, we used to have a joke when I was a kid. If if someone sticks a middle finger up at me, I'm sticking twos up back. And I think that's the thing in it that we yeah. we we respond badly, which makes the situation worse. Yeah. And so instead of running to the Lord yeah. in the difficulties. We, we respond in anger and, and yeah. self-righteousness. Yeah. Um, and so we might be sinned against and we might have real issues, yeah. but our response actually makes it worse. And what yeah. we really need to do is say, well, the Lord Jesus has, has died for me and I'm accepted by the Father yeah. and I have or everything I ever need in him. And so I can stand yeah. confident. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the, the same, what, what you're getting at there with the thing of how we respond and we often respond instantly to sin with sin exposes the other thing and it might trip might it might be trip who says the same thing but i'm sure other people have said it as well is actually my biggest problem is me yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not somebody else or my circumstances my biggest problem is me it's my own heart which is what we've been getting at for this i guess the whole podcast really isn't it the root problem in, in it is me and that my own transformation to be more like christ is going to be key in all of this yeah all those issues are real and again not to diminish those things of isolation and lack of people and lack of resources they're they all they're all real issues and can be real issues for a long time they don't get fixed in an instant but those issues often expose really what is the problem in my own heart and whether that's that i'm arrogant or i think i deserve more i've got an entitlement you know complex or whether i fear other people or whether i am envious of other people it all flows from my heart it's just that these these specific problems i face bring that out already don't they yeah. bring out what's already in me and, and like you said the answer that's the gospel it has to be 
And I think we'll have to end that there on the note that the biggest problem for church planters, Matt Oliver, because <laughs> <laughs> because my dog's bouncing his head off the crate. I'm going to have to go and uh, sort him out. But this will probably be known as the podcast that got Ian and Graham sacked and excommunicated. <laughs> <laughs> All those people who've left our church will be writing to me going, see, we told you so. <laughs> yeah. If only you'd have listened five years ago, you wouldn't have gone through any of that. <laughs> oh, well, brilliant. Let's end it there, gents. Uh, thanks for uh, another great episode of the In Context podcast. See you Thank soon. You. See you.